Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Anna. And I guess this is as good an episode as any to tell you all... We're We're engaged! engaged. So in honor of a love that never dies, we're not talking about the loveless sequel to Phantom of the Opera. We're talking about the evolution of America's ookiest family, the Addams Family. I think with the popularity of Wednesday recently and the confirmation of season two, I think that's a great jumping off point because there is so much as far as nods and references that Wednesday both did and missed opportunities to do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anyone who knows me knows that I have an obsession with both the Adams Family and Tim Burton. So I was very, very excited when I heard that this was happening. But there wasn't the love in it that I thought there was going to be from Burton. And it turns out he only directed like three episodes anyway. But yeah, there was a lot of missed opportunities to reference the really vast amount of Adam's Family adaptations that there has been before Wednesday. Even beyond the adaptations, the Adam's Family itself is such a rich tapestry of different characters and different abilities. And for a school like Nevermore, which centers on characters embracing their differences and uh, evolving their powers, for lack of a better word, it just really would have been great to see more of that presence of the family. For example, one of the things that really gets to me uh, about Wednesday is the Goody Adams situation. It's a great story. It's great to tie it back to Salem. Feels a little bit like they latched too much onto that one scene from the 90s movie, But that's fine, because in the original canon, uh, Morticia's family has ties to Salem. So that's great. But the thing is, Morticia tells Wednesday that an ancestor of theirs who shares a power with her will be reaching out to her in order to help her hone in on that. So... One, if the power of premonition exists on Morticia's side, why isn't Adams reaching out to her? And two, this is semantics. Goody's not a name. It was a title given to married women. But Morticia's side already has relatives that tie into that Salem arc, that tie into those abilities. Yeah, I mean, it's mentioned throughout nearly every adaptation of the Adams beforehand that Morticia has a lot of ties back to Salem. Even in the original TV show, um, I think it was the Adams Family Tree episode, they actually mentioned that she's been traced back to her ancestors originating from Salem. And in the 90s films, they mention Aunt Capernia, who Wednesday is obsessed with and is drawing in class. And she was said to be burnt at the stake in Salem, which I mean, technically is not true because no one was burnt at the stake in Salem, but I'm just going to let that pass. <laughs> and we've also got Aunt Singe in the Halloween Adams style episode of the original TV show, where they do a seance to bring back Aunt Singe to prove to Wednesday that witches are real. So given that they've mentioned two named characters originally, from Salem, who are witches, who are on Morticia's side of the family, and that these powers come from her side of the family. It makes no sense. And as soon as they said Goody Adams, then both of us watching it were, I mean, yeah, as you said, Goody is not a name. It's just (laughs) at the time, that was what women were called. They were nameless, basically. So so none of that really made sense. They just, I mean, yeah, but everyone was just like called Goody and then their surname. So why would it be an Adams? But it's interesting that the premise of when Wednesday is that she gets moved into Nevermore, and it's almost an exception. Nobody knows that she has powers, yet Morticia has an inkling of it. They make this exception for her, which is also a weird mark for me, because Pugsley's the one being bullied, uh, which causes Wednesday to act out, so like make the exception for Pugsley and send him over there. But that also brings up Gomez 
as far as we've seen in uh, Wednesday, they never touch on whether or not Gomez has any upright powers. So we would have to assume that he's an exception also, unless you want to take this back to the 60s series again, where an argument could be made that Gomez and Pugsley and we see this especially in Pugsley as uh, every iteration of The Addams Family goes onward, especially the recent animated adaptations. They have this ability of invincibility. They both rely so much on these slapstick gags that would kill any normal person, and yet they come out unscathed. And I think that's really interesting, especially for Gomez's like fencing skills. Yeah, definitely. And you always see Pugsley in nearly every adaptation playing with explosives, and he's fine. And it's mentioned so many times in the TV show that he plays with them in his room and it like shakes the whole house but he's fine also they talk about like their favourite drinks being henbane tea and things that would kill most people um, and Gomez experimenting with um, the power of gravity um, like is mentioned in the TV show that he's trying to prove that people can fly if they just try enough times and so he just keeps jumping off the top of the house and he's fine so clearly there is some sort of power there the only power that I've really seen from Morticia in any adaptation apart from Wednesday is the the power to smoke on cue like her whole body just smokes so I don't think I have counts. a counter to that we do also see both Morticia and her sister Ophelia uh, experiencing phytokinesis this is true you have Morticia's uncanny ability to raise man-eating plants and Ophelia has this she's essentially always sprouting flowers wherever she goes right yeah Ophelia is Morticia's sister and she's only really mentioned in the episodes but that was another thing that they really should have tied back into the Wednesday show because when they said that she was staying in Ophelia Hall, I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to have some references back to Ophelia. And it's never brought up or mentioned. So it just, it kind of felt like it was mocking. Like, hey, I know that this is part of the Adam's history, but we're not going to bring it up. We're just going to tease you with it. I um, have a feeling it's more than a teaser. I think it's going to be one of those long term reveals. It would be a shame if they don't, but I think. To name a hall after somebody where Nevermore has very explicitly talked about its founders, its history, it names things after prominent people, after prominent social clubs. It feels like it's going to build into being more than a nod, and I hope that they do, because season two confirmed that they are going to focus more on the family, which is great, because the Uncle Fester episode is an hour of my life I'll never get back. Yeah, I mean, that was disappointing. The fact that he was like, oh, I don't want to crack a safe open where there's the, in every single adaptation apart from that, like he's obsessed with cracking safes. That that bothered me. I know it's the tiniest thing in the world, but like that really bothered me. And there's just so much confusion as to whose side the family fester is on in the newer adaptations that I felt like they could have cleared that up a little bit. It's more of a shame because Fred Armisen does a fantastic job of trying to capture Jackie Coogan's mannerisms. It's so subtle, but you can tell that every movement that he makes draws from Coogan's original uh, performance. So it was great to see that he just wasn't given the screen time to delve even deeper into that. So if they're going to emphasize the family even more in the next season, I'm interested to see him come back. I'm interested to see him get to lean into the slapstick and wild nature of Fester. The fact that it's hard to tell what side of the family Fester is on at this point, I really think comes down to the 90s movies 
because that is the first time we see Fester switch sides from being on the Frump side to being on the uh, Adam side. Yeah, as much as Fester refers to himself sort of as an Adams in the TV show, it was always written that he was Morticia's uncle. Um, Even in the comic strips. I mean, when Charles Adams wrote them, then he didn't have any names for any of the characters until the TV show adaptation. So during the comics, no one had names. And he had, at first, with the TV show, real creative control over scripts, over casting, over even like the decor and the costumes. So he made sure that everything in the TV show was exactly as he intended the Adams to be. And with Festo, he was very clear that that was Morticia's uncle, but didn't say whether it was Granny Frump's brother or if it was a, a different type of uncle. But anyway, it was always Morticia's uncle up until the 90s when they decided that Gomez was Festa's brother. So I, I'm not sure why they put that in there because it doesn't actually serve the story that well either. I So I don't think that it serves the story per se, but I think it's really interesting because I have a theory about how the Adams and the Frumps are broken down based on the 60s series. Uh, when you really look at it, like we were saying, all of the witches, all of the power comes from Morticia's side. It comes from the Frumps. And Gomez's side has that slapstick type invincibility. But you get members of the family like Cousin It, who is on Gomez's side as well. And I think what it comes down to is if they look like they're characters from a sideshow, if they're a two-headed uncle, if they're uh, an uncle who's part giraffe, as we see some of the portraits uh, in the Adams house. If they look like they're from a circus sideshow or have sideshow type abilities, they're probably an Adams. So with Fester's ability to generate electricity and that obsession with dynamite and explosions that Pugsley gets from spending time with Fester, uh, it kind of ties into that invincibility too. So it makes sense in that regard for Fester to be an Adams, whereas Morticia's side with the witches and powers like phytokinesis and uh as we see in wednesday premonition it makes more sense for uh them to be separated in that regard uh i do think that this slapstick stuff comes a lot from adam's control over the series and having that mindset of coming from a comic strip where anything is possible there's no real repercussions uh basically writing a cartoon and then having the chance to film it live action and getting somebody like nat perrin to be the director throughout most of it uh and help with the adaptations perrin did a lot of work with the marx brothers who are the epitome of clowning humor and physical comedy so i think the adams family gets a lot of its charm from being this Marx Brothers adjacent series. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything about the series is slapstick and really witty dialogue. So I think it's such a mix of both Nat Perrin and Charles Adams' humor that they mix into it, which is why it still holds up, I think, as being really funny today. I definitely think that slapstick humor is a universal language of humor that will continue to be funny in every iteration of the Adams family. And especially in the recent iterations that we've seen in the animated, they get to lean more heavily into that again. We get to see more of the explosive nature of the Adams. We get to see higher stakes of hijinks where, you know, we have Lurch being this uh, asylum escapee who has these Hulk-esque abilities we're able to lean into physical comedy that much more. And I'm so glad that these movies do this. It's a great iteration of Wednesday. And I like 
the evolution that we're seeing of her. Uh, I think it kind of makes sense from the elements of her being this happy-go-lucky, curious about the macabre, but not as invested uh, as the rest of the family, uh, but more invested in uh, sort of quote-unquote normal life that we get to see her lean a little bit more into her family ties as she gets older. I mean, it's interesting because I've always thought of Pugsley as the one who is more leaning towards the normal side, because in the TV show, there are countless episodes about Pugsley wanting to do normal things, and it really freaking the family out um whereas wednesday can't understand why pugsley is interested in normal things but that that really quickly switched after the tv show even in the um 70s animated series we see that switch start to take place yeah definitely it does seem like the only version of adams where that role is switched is the tv show and everything since then has been about Wednesday's curiosity taking over, which is, is, it's interesting. The only thing that I can really say about the Wednesday TV show is that I feel like General Tager's portrayal is fantastic because she didn't just go off of the 90s Christina Ricci Wednesday, which everyone seems to know more than any other adaptation. She went back and she studied Lisa Loring, um, in the TV show and she pays homage to both of them simultaneously throughout the show. So I think given the right dialogue, she would have done, she did an amazing job, but it's more the dialogue and what they were given to work off of that the actors kind of let it down in Wednesday. Apart from Catherine Zeta-Jones. I love Catherine Zeta, I did love Catherine Zeta-Jones. I'm kind of mad at her from this adaptation because I think it was the weakest portrayal of Morticia that you could get. And I don't think that there was any passion or even understanding of who Morticia was as a character there. And it didn't even seem like she liked Gomez, let alone was like devotedly in love with him in that series. We do lose that charm in this series. And it is more focused on Wednesday and Morticia's relationship than it is on Gomez and Morticia's relationship, which is the first time we're seeing this as, you know, she's a young adult. She's uh, she's growing up. But the dynamic shift was just such whiplash from every other iteration we've seen. And I think even at the performance that we get in the animated series, which is definitely a drier version of Morticia, it still has that sharp wit and devoted love to Gomez and to the family. Yeah, I think Charlize Theron's portrayal of Morticia in the animated films was a bit too bland, but, like, as you say, she was given really witty dialogue, which works so well for Morticia. But it's just so different from where Morticia started. Because, I mean, even Angelica Houston's Morticia was, I mean, it seems to be the most popular, I guess. It's definitely the most macabre. Yeah, it works, but it's not true to Adam's intentions for Morticia. Adam's has said in interviews before and even with the TV show that, you know, he picked Carolyn Jones to be Morticia for the reason that she can dance on both the side of joy and motherliness and the macabre, but without making it sad or dark. It's almost like spooky happy is is what was meant to go for. Whereas I feel Angelica Houston's Morticia was just kind of macabre. She didn't seem joyful, um, and she didn't seem, I don't know, excited by anything. 
I think the reason for that and that intention that Charles Adams came into creating the series with is really something that is near impossible to replicate today because the Adams family was designed to defy the social norms of the 50s and the 60s. In the 50s and 60s, a lot of the things that you got to see on TV, it was very cool to hate your wife in the 50s and 60s. So to have this couple that was hopelessly devoted to each other and a little weird, their whole thing was that they're weird. They're not morose. They don't worship the dark. They're just into spookier things, but they're as normal and neighborly as anyone else. In fact, Gomez is obsessed with the idea of community. He's involved in everything. As soon as he gets a chance to meet somebody, he wants to help them. He wants to be a part of whatever they're excited about. Everything about this family is passion. So if you're into something weird, if you're passionate about it, like they're on your side. So I think that since the social norms of the 50s and 60s were that everything is this leave it to beaver, uh, perfect golden age, making them dark and spooky was really something that worked to make that contrast. However, today, where things like true crime are in the mainstream, you can't really make an Adams with that kind of charm where the dark is the weird thing. You have to really amp it up. And that's why we're seeing more of these horror elements, why we're seeing Wednesday's obsession with true crime. You have to lean into it tenfold to try and make it have that same dichotomy and it still doesn't because we live in an era where that subculture is so socially accepted whereas you know you had a good 30 years before they would see that acceptance after the adams family aired right yeah that does make sense and it's kind of sad that we're gonna have to lean more into the horror element to try and make them weird still but it's 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 also good because it means that like just having a spooky lifestyle is just so normal to most people now. Thank you, Michaels. We can find spooky home goods all year round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, growing up thinking you're a weird kid, and then now you're like, oh, okay, no one is weird anymore. Everything is normal, and that's great. But it's also yeah, it's going to be hard for the Adams to stand out. But I think it's almost more of a rebellious act to show a wholesome, happy, spooky family now than it is to show any element of horror in their life. It needs to be, everyone's so desensitized to everything now, to make something that's truly wholesome but still dark would still be a defiance of social norms nowadays. It's hard. I don't think it carries over the same way now, even as it did in the 90s. The 90s, we reached another one of those points where there's a sharp dichotomy in the Adams to the average family. Everything in the 90s was cool and rad, and everything was like super saturated, yellows, oranges, greens. It's the Nickelodeon era. That was the perfect time to bring this series into fruition again. And not only the movies, we got the new Adams Family series. And it's an over-the-top 90s hyper-style version of the 60s series. The episodes are verbatim almost one-to-one, but we see them amp it up a notch to keep up with that dichotomy. Today, we don't really have this distinct element of what uh, the family and social norm is. Everything is very muddled right now. We're in this weird influencer era Um, And we see a little bit of that tackled in the animated movies uh, where they touch on, you know, how the Adams family is just kind of staying away from all of that. And they are a little bit more reclusive. They are 
the differences from the 60s where Gomez is obsessed with being around people we see in the animated movie they get shunned immediately for being different so they stay away from society for the most part uh, and that's the defiance where everything is about being in the public eye in 2023 family is about what happens intimately behind closed doors Another big shift that we've seen in the movies is shifting from Gomez and Morticia being the focus to Pugsley and Wednesday being the focus. The original 60s series, it's very much about Gomez and Morticia and how they fit into their neighborhood and their society. But as we're getting the new movies, as we're getting the musical, as we're getting things like Wednesday, it's about how these kids are affected by the nurturing and the their upbringing. It's how they are integrating themselves into society, which is why one of the most popular subplots that we've seen has been, quote unquote, Wednesday going to a normal school. You know, the show Wednesday deviates from that back to bringing them into the weird, which I personally feel like if you're putting weird characters among other weird characters, you lose the thing that makes them different. And that's where it's a little bit harder to pick Wednesday out as the most interesting character up against somebody like Enid. But I mean, again, I think it's not it's not a normal school. I would have liked to have seen Wednesday in a normal school because that would have been so much more of a juxtaposition than putting her in a school that's for like quote unquote weirdos. We um, did for five minutes and then she bit that kid's dick off. Yeah, with a I, I wanted to see that story. That story sounded fun. She didn't, she didn't bite his dick. The piranha the did. The piranha did. I said with a piranha. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Somebody's dick got bit off in the first five minutes of Wednesday. Yeah, why, I opening. wanted to see that show. I didn't want to see, you know, her going to school with, like, all these powers and things. I mean, they still treated her like she was weird, though, which was confusing because she was literally a roommate to a werewolf and everyone was like who is this weird girl that can see the future and she couldn't even see the future actually they were just like who's this weird girl that likes dark things and i don't feel like that makes any sense for a school that is for kids with supernatural powers Um, i guess the premise of not knowing that wednesday had powers at the time does make her weird like you're not a vampire you're not a werewolf you're not a siren but seeing her go to a normal school and still being roommates with Enid, because Enid was a great character, imagine just Enid being a normal, like, really happy pastel girl being friends with Wednesday. I think that would have been so much more of a story rather than all the supernatural stuff. I don't think it was needed, and I feel like it actually made the Adams being different not a focus anymore. It, it made everyone equally as weird, which means, like, what was the point of having this as an Adams show? You could have done this with any other family, and it would still make sense. What what made it need to be Adams? Because nothing tied it to being the Adams family apart from them being weird. I I do think Enid is an interesting point here because she's uh, she's effectively a pastel goth, and that's the counter to the counterculture. I love her story and her also being in that situation where she doesn't believe that she herself has these powers, that she fits in with her family. So I really hope that moving forward, the dichotomy that we get isn't this Adams versus normal society. It's how does a family like the Adams family with characters like Uncle Fester and Thing and Cousin It, who has a brief cameo, against 
characters like Enid's family who we see for just one moment the toxicity of that family dynamic where there's the pressure to be something that you don't wholly yourself believe that you are. I think in the era where we're getting a lot of films like Disney films and stuff that are about forgiving the sins of the generation that came before us or breaking uh, generational curses, I think if that's the direction that this series is going to go, that's a really interesting point, and that might be the new way to make an Adam story work. So we have Wednesday, who is like so devoted to her family that she springs her parents from jail and uncovers their crimes. Breaking generational curses and finding her own way outside of the Adams family could be an interesting take on it. I think the really interesting thing about this segue that we have where the show is more centered around the kids like Wednesday and Pugsley, this wouldn't have been possible without Jackie Coogan's influence on the film and television industry. He started out as a child actor And they literally call them the Coogan Laws, which because of what he went through as a child actor and what he had to fight for because his family ended up spending everything that he made, uh, he had to fight for the rights of child actors. So now, you know, well, by the time that he's Uncle Fester, Wednesday and Pugsley have these laws that protect them on set. What he did for child actors and just for cinema in in general, is pretty amazing because he started acting when he was really, really young, didn't he? Yeah, uh, he's got a, a long uh, film career, and most of it is like very much before the Adams family. I know that uh, Lisa Loring particularly said that he was really protective on set of her. Obviously, he just like was just so attentive to the fact that they were child actors, and a lot of bad can come from child acting. So it was nice that. They had that care on set. I mean, Lisa Loring said that literally everyone on the cast was so protective and so caring. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, even from the extent that in the original series, there are a lot of episodes where Wednesday and Pugsley aren't even present. Yeah, they make there's a, a few episodes where they kind of make some sort of excuse for why Pugsley isn't there or why Wednesday's not there or they'll do episodes without the children. And I would assume that's because they were giving them a day off. I think uh, if I remember correctly, and this could be totally off base, but I think that there was a direct fight to make sure that their their set times didn't conflict with them going to school. Where like now we have a lot of child actors who are homeschooled or use um, virtual programs uh, and they're you know educated on the road and on their own time and on set. It's great that we are able to do that, but you know, in the 60s where none of that is possible, you need people advocating for these kids being able to live their lives, be normal kids, get an education, and be on set, have their career start. Definitely. I mean, if you want to get technical about it, not only is Jackie Coogan and Uncle Fester responsible for better set life, but Uncle Fester is responsible for the Adams family as a whole. How do you mean? If we go back to the Morticia's romance episode, Uncle Fester has a direct hand in uh, Gomez and Morticia being together. I mean, he's definitely one of the main influences on them getting together, but I I think it was inevitable. It was, I mean, it's okay, so those of you who have not watched Morticia's romance, which is one of the original episodes, it explains how Morticia and Gomez met and came to be married. And so the story is that Grandmama and Granny Frump, 
who is Morticia's mum, basically arrange for Gomez and Ophelia to be married. But Ophelia is over the top and she's very violent as much as she's growing flowers everywhere. And Gomez is just not feeling it. And so Morticia comes along because she's the younger sister and she just has to hang out for a bit. And obviously those two fall madly in love as soon as they see each other. So Morticia's conflicted because Gomez is supposed to marry her sister. So she calls in her uncle Fester to come to the house to help her and give her advice. Um, oh, right. He's not living with... I keep... No, he's not living with them that they're because... they're not living with them because they don't live together. And it's the original Adam's family house is Gomez and Grandmama's. Yeah. Um, and Lurch is their butler and... Thing, and thing is, is uh, Gomez's, Gomez's childhood friend. friend. Yeah, that's where that um, that sideshow thing really comes into play too. Yeah, and like completely derailing here for just a second. But in the comic book series, in the comic book strips, um, Thing was a full sized creature, and like they would take him in a cage wherever they went, and that's why they have the beware of the Thing sign because he was just this little creature that like got out of the house all the time. Um, that they had to keep locked up. And there's... I didn't know that, but I always had a theory about it with the original series, because obviously you can't do disembodied hand in the 60s. I mean, you can, but for an ongoing TV series, that's very expensive. But we always see thing coming out of like different little hidey holes in the house, and he's got his thing box. So I always wondered, like, you know, where's the rest of the creature behind the hand? Yeah, so the idea of that was because Charles Adams had always, apart from, I mean, Fing was in 30 of the 58 original comics, and he was always shown as a full-size creature, apart from there was two of the comic book strips where it was just shown his hand coming out of places and then, like, slotting him back down. And so that's where the idea of just having him pop up with just his hand from different places in the house came from. Um, and then obviously when it got to the 90s, then they took the literal form of Thing is just a hand running around. And that's how it's been ever since. Isn't he just a hand in the 70s cartoon too? Yeah. So literally from the TV show onwards, he's just a hand. It's only I in the comic book series. I do hand. Yeah. And not to like keep us on Thing and deviate from Morticia's romance. But there's a, a nice subtle nod in Wednesday where Thing is very beat up looking. Thing is covered in scars and stitches. And uh, Morticia says something to the effect of, I was surprised to find him with all his fingers intact, which would imply that Wednesday is largely responsible for Thing's disfigurement by the time that he is her essential dorm mate. Yeah, which just seems really mean and not in the Wednesday spirit. But anyway... Um, Is it really? Because she was chopping her doll's heads off and uh, by the 90s constantly trying to kill Pugsley. Yes, but I don't think she would actually like, you know, anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So going back to Morticia's romance, um, Festa is called in by Morticia for some advice and he comes up with the idea of setting Ophelia up with Cousin It, which she begrudgingly does um, and it kind of takes some distraction away. But Grandmama and Granny Frump still want Morticia, uh, Gomez and Ophelia to get married. And that's when Gomez steps up because he's supposed to be this weak guy who just like hides in his house at this point before he meets Morticia. And so he's finally standing up to his mum and saying like, no, I love Morticia and we're going to get married. 
And for some reason, they just go, all right. Um, and they're cool with it and they get married. Um, well, I think like most like best friends, you, you want to unite those families. And that's really the idea here. Cause when we see Granny Frump and Grandmama talking about the two of them getting married, they spend like a minute on that. And then the rest of their time reminiscing about their times at what is it? Swamp Town High. Mm hmm. Uh, the school that they went to in Salem. So it's just two best friends who want their kids to be together so their families can be united. And I do wish we got to see more of that because you know I love my head cannons. Uh, Margaret Hamilton plays Granny Frump, and she's the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. So like, witch for witch, this is definitely where Morticia's witchy side comes from. Yeah, definitely. And it's a shame because she comes back in quite a few episodes, but you don't see her and Grandmama interact after that episode. And you don't hear much about uh, Granny Frump's past or even her relationship with Morticia. Um, She's sort of there as just a a novelty to tie into an episode. Um, But it would have been really great to hear more about both of their history together and her history alone. Uh, I think Morticia's romance is the farthest back that the original series goes, right? Yeah. So that's like the base starting point of learning about the Adams family history, if you're going to do this chronologically. I love the fact that, sure, Gomez and Morticia are wildly passionate about each other, but it's not from out of nowhere. We, taking it back to Morticia's romance, immediately see that they bring out the best in each other. So it comes from that support. It comes from that unbridled ability to accept each other for who they are completely. And that really carries through, sometimes not always for the best. Morticia is very supportive of some of the less than ideal scenarios that Gomez puts himself in. Yeah, she's very supportive, but she also knows when to tell him to stop um, for his own good. I have Um, seen that man's investment portfolio and he needs to be stopped more. It's amazing (laughs) that the Adams have any money left. Well, it would seem that they have infinite money as far as the TV series goes. I mean, even when they're handing out money to trick-or-treaters and he just opens a drawer and he's like, oh, here's 10,000, like, to a trick-or-treater. That's a great parallel episode between the new Adams of the 90s and that one because, like... Yes, there is a drawer full of money in the 60s, uh, and then the drawer, the drawer is just overflowing with money in the 90s. Yeah. But the, the, the thing is, though, that now you'd think the one in the 60s, the amount of money that they talk about would have aged it by this point, but because they went so over the top with mentioning how much things were, it's still a lot of money today. They didn't just say, like... Like $100 would have been a lot of money at the time, probably, but they're like 100000 or they say, oh, just $2 million. and that's still a lot of money today, so nothing ages this show. The point is, they have infinite money, so I don't think Morticia's worried about that, apart from one episode where she mistakenly thinks that they've gone broke. Um, and even then, her reaction isn't like, I'm going to lose all of my great stuff. She's worried for Gomez and his pride and how he's going to feel about it. And both of them are, even Gomez is so much, so supportive of Morticia and her plants when she wants to be a writer, when she wants to be a sculptor. Um, oh, I forgot about the sculpting episode. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, the I painting, know. One. painting one's the one I'm thinking of more. Oh, there is a painting one as well. But yeah, she she decides she wants to become a sculptor. She decides that she wants to become a writer. And Gomez has to 
try and support her while knowing that neither of these things are actually going well and gets into ridiculous situations trying to cover up that it's not going well by basically asking people to pay Morticia for her sculpts, even though they're not that great. Uh Uh-uh. Paying people to pay Morticia. Yeah. (laughs) They're just so wildly supportive of each other, as well as knowing how to rein each other back when they need to. Even by the Morticia's Romance episode, the reason why we get that backstory is because it's their 13th wedding anniversary, and the kids are asking about how they how they met. And even at that point, after 13 years of marriage, then they're still obsessed with each other. And the amount of times that Morticia has to say to Gomez, like, we've got company, like, stop it. It's, it's just really nice to see. And it gives, it must give really good expectations to their kids of what they should be expecting out of romance, which they kind of play on, I guess, in Adam's Family Values with Wednesday's uh, relationship. I wish that uh, that was something that reflected in Wednesday as well, because her friend, I forget his name, but he's adorable and I love him, is a direct parallel to that guy. So I hope that after his recovery, that has a chance to maybe go somewhere. Yeah, that's who she should be with. And like, I think that's kind of the point. And like Wednesday has been tempted into some not great relationships based on expectation uh, throughout Wednesday. So yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. I think the fact that Charles Adams was so adamant, pun intended, I think the fact that Charles Adams was so adamant on making Gomez and Morticia this idyllic couple is really interesting given his own romantic situation, especially uh, at the time. And I do think that this is a big reason why we get some of the deviations throughout different Adams iterations that we've seen. Definitely. I mean, Charles Adams was married three times. All of his wives reportedly look like Morticia, so he he definitely had a type. I'm not saying I get it, but I get it. Obviously. (laughs) But his his second wife was probably the most heart-wrenching story. He married her in 1954, and it wasn't long after he started the TV show um, and was, you know, having creative control, which is why I said at first he had creative control over everything. Um, And somewhere along the way, she managed to basically convince him to give all of the control of the Adams Family TV show and franchises to her and persuaded him to give away all of his other legal rights. She just tore him down mentally to the point where like he thought that that was the the best thing to do because she basically made him feel like he didn't deserve it and that she did and that she she knew what was best for him and so he should just give up control she even got to the point where she made him take out like a hundred thousand dollar insurance policy on himself which is a bit scary because obviously that's going to be a red flag that oh she probably wants him to die so she can get that money um, and luckily, Adams finally saw sense when he consulted a lawyer, and the lawyer basically said to him, I haven't seen anything like this apart from in the movie Double Indemnity, which was about a woman basically scamming and trying to kill her husband. Um, so he luckily came to his senses and divorced after all of that was over. So that was pretty horrible. Um, but luckily he met his third wife, who he married in 1985, who was called Marilyn Adams, but uh, her nickname was T. And they got married in a pet cemetery, and they moved into a huge spooky house, which is what he always wanted. 
And so she ended up being his real life Morticia, um, finally. Oh, and they had a swamp, which I think is adorable. And that's why it ties into the TV show, because he really wanted a swamp next to his spooky house. And they got a swamp, like they made a swamp, which I think I is adorable. I love that for them. Property-wise, yeah. probably not a great idea. No. But hey. <laughs> Um, but after he died in 1988, which was only three years after they got married, which was very sad, then his remains were scattered in the pet cemetery where they'd got married. Um, and she started the Charles Adams Foundation to keep his work alive and to try and regain creative control for him and what Does his that wishes have anything were. Anything to do with the Adams uh, Festival that happens uh, like more upstate New York? I think it's in New Jersey. Um, I only he found lied. out. I only found out about Adam's Fest. God, was it this year or last year? And my mind was blown. I think one of my Instagram followers messaged me and said, "Did you know about this?" And I was like, "How? How did I not know that there is a massive Adam's Family convention every year in New Jersey?" And yeah, I don't know. I, that it must be tied to the Charles Adams Foundation. But it's it's so exciting because it's just a festival that is dedicated to celebrating the life and works of Charles Adams, which is so... it's It makes me so happy to know that a mass amount of people are still celebrating him to this day, to the point where there's an annual event for it. So I can't wait to go to that. Well, yeah. I mean, we're still getting iterations of this series 50 years later that's an insane statement and it's it's had such an influence on subculture it's had such an influence on just storytelling in general uh even to the extent of you know morticia being a key player in the horror hosts that we've seen the transition from mortician to vampira to elvira yeah she's definitely become like the staple spooky femme fatale character that we all recognize and i mean personally for me it, it, the adams has like a huge impact on me because as a child i obviously the first introduction was the 90s movies when i was a kid and i was like this is wild that there is it's just this really nice happy family that happened to be into all the spooky shit that i am obsessed with that i thought i wasn't supposed to be obsessed with and so when I found the TV series, and I, I'm not kidding when I say I watch the TV, an episode at least of the TV series every single night. I cannot sleep usually if I haven't watched an episode. And Anthony will tell you because he's gone to sleep <laughs> with me watching it every night. Um, but it's just so comforting. And that became my expectation of what I wanted out of a partner and out of a family one day. So it does have a really good positive impact for people who are into the spooky lifestyle that it's it's goals. It's so funny because uh, growing up, like my first introduction to this was my mom loved the Adams. So she would, you know, sit me down. We watch the Adams family. My dad loved the monsters. So he'd sit me down. We watch the monsters. <laughs> and both of those you can see the influence that it had on them as people as well. They're not like spooky people. I still get some grief for some of the weird shit I bring home. 
but like you can see the influence in those family dynamics and like how they are as people yeah i can definitely see that in your family (laughs) that's why i fit in anna and i have spent so much time dissecting the adams family tree so much so to the extent that if i wanted to i can make a point about the adams family being an incest family and that would be perfectly gothic of them because there is an uncle droop on both sides yes but I feel like that was just a dialogue mistake. I don't think that's anything to read into. But also in the episode Morticia's Dilemma, when Gomez's old friend from Spain comes and he mishears that Morticia is Gomez's sister. So when Gomez says that they're married, he's like, you married your sister. And they're both outraged at that idea and seem really sickened by it. So I don't think incest is a thing. But also we see them meet from different families at the beginning. And yeah, I don't I don't think that that incest is is a thing. I think they're just very Morticia and Fester particularly take on the Adam's spirit so much that they just talk about it as if they've been there for the whole time. Alright, I guess that tracks. <laughs> But yeah, we have a whole family tree. I spent a lot of time trying to map out the layout of the Adams family house. So I think this is a pretty good stopping point for this Adams episode. But if you guys want to hear more, let us know because we could go real in depth. In the meantime, do you want your fear of the day? Sure. I think I'm going to win this one. Your fear of the day is singenesophobia. Oh, fear of Aunt Singe. Um, you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> But not totally wrong. Hey. Oh. Is it fear of witches? It is the fear of relatives. Oh. Okay. I have a little bit of that. Not for all of them. It's just being scared of all of your relatives or people having relatives or having relatives. You guys ask me these questions like (laughs) I did any further research on this. Okay. I'll take it. Do you have a recommendation? Yeah, uh, so I wanted to keep it fitting with the gothic motif. I was going to do something uh, more family-oriented, but I think I want to recommend Stonehurst Asylum. Uh, It's based off of an Edgar Allan Poe story, and if I tell you which one, it'll ruin the whole story. So go watch it. Enjoy it. It's a good, weird time. I similarly tried to find anything that was to do with family or the Adams or anything like that, and I, I, I came up short because I've probably mentioned everything tied to them before. Um, so my recommendation is a film called Ghost Watch, which was um, aired on the BBC in the UK in 1992, and it was presented as a live ghost tour around someone's home and meant to be family friendly but it turned out to be like a war of the world situation and it's super impactful if you watch it from the mindset of it pretending to be a live show it it rocked a lot of the uk's world um and there was many complaints and even some deaths um so yeah watch ghost watch if you can find it good luck thanks for tuning into the hauntsville crypt cast live your spooky life find your spooky wife i'm anthony i'm anna Happy haunting, happy haunting, happy haunting.